0: The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluesteak, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta
6: Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia.
0: Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast,
6: subscribe to the AJC. Previously on Breakdown.
2: If the shortest distance between two points is a straight line was a person, it would be Bonnie. She's the type that is going to come straight at you, look you in the eye, tell you she's going to beat you, and then work relentlessly to do that. I developed a philosophy very early on when I was trying the murders, and the philosophy was I couldn't get a conviction on every case, although I got them almost. Uh, but when I sat down, I just wanted to be able to, and it was usually a young man, although it was sometimes a young woman, but I just wanted to be able to look at mom and say, I did everything I knew how to do. everything.
3: If these radical, vicious, racist prosecutors do anything wrong or illegal, I hope we are going to have in this country the biggest protest we have ever had in Washington, D.C., in New York, in Atlanta, and elsewhere, because our country and our elections are corrupt. They're corrupt.
6: So let's get right down to it. Is there a criminal case against former President Donald Trump and the others who tried to overturn the 2020 election results in Georgia?
7: Some say it's obvious that Trump committed a crime when he called Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger on January 2, 2021, that he cajoled, pressured, and threatened him to alter the results of the election so he'd win Georgia's 16 electoral votes.
3: And the people of Georgia are angry. The people of the country are angry. And there's nothing wrong with saying that you know, uh, that you've recalculated. Here's
7: John half a professor of public interest law at George Washington University.
3: Looking specifically at the Trump situation, when I read and then heard the actual tape recording of the conversation, it jumped out at me as being about as clear and specific and unambiguous evidence of a crime. Others
6: just don't see it. They say Trump truly believed, like countless other Americans, that there was widespread fraud in Georgia. And he was asking Raffensberger simply to do his job as Georgia's top elections official to root out the fraud and count every legally cast ballot.
4: But if we narrow down to the particulars of what I understand the DA to be looking into, which is, you know, whether there's any criminal or illegal conduct, you know, I. I don't even think it's really close, to be fair.
6: That's Randy Evans, a prominent Georgia attorney who served as Trump's ambassador to Luxembourg.
7: So, was it a crime or a public-spirited phone call? Nearly two dozen Fulton County residents are now laser-focused on that question.
6: The ongoing special purpose grand jury is authorized to issue subpoenas for evidence and testimony. The grand jurors can hear directly from witnesses and ask them questions. Then they'll make a recommendation as to whether Trump broke any laws.
7: But all they can do is recommend. The woman leading the grand jurors, District Attorney Fonnie Willis, will make the final decision on whether to pursue an indictment.
6: This is Season 9, Episode 3 of Breakdown, from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Welcome back to Breakdown, the podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution investigating Georgia's most important cases. I'm Bill Rankin.
7: And I'm Tamar Hallerman.
6: OK, remember, we only know just a fraction of the information that's going to be obtained by the grand jury is operating in secret. And its subpoena power is likely to grant jurors access to information that even the best reporters have been unable to unearth.
7: But here's what we do know. Trump's call to Raffensburger lies at the heart of the investigation. But it's just one of several phone calls the grand jury is looking at.
6: That includes the calls that Trump had with Governor Brian Kemp, Attorney General Chris Carr, and elections investigator Francis Watson in the weeks following the November election.
7: There's the phone conversation between Raffensperger and South Carolina U.S. Senator Lindsey Graham, a top Trump ally. That's when Graham allegedly asked whether the Secretary of State had the power to reject legally cast absentee ballots to help Trump narrow his deficit in Georgia.
6: Meanwhile, there's the testimony that Trump's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, and others presented to two committees in the Georgia legislature.
7: And then there are the 16 Georgia Republicans who claim to be the state's true presidential electors. During a sham ceremony in the state capitol, they signed official looking documents to be sent to Washington.
6: All of that could very well be the starting point for the special purpose grand jury. Willis is casting a wide net for her investigation. And she says she's letting her prosecutors follow the evidence where it takes them. Willis laid out a half dozen statutes that may have been broken in a letter she sent to the state's top elected officials last year. That was also how Willis announced to the world she is investigating Trump. A recent analysis from the nonpartisan Brookings Institution in Washington dives in even further.
2: There are several uh, charges, criminal charges that could be implicated, some within the election code. Uh, that is specifically designed to protect the integrity of elections, and then others in the more traditional uh, criminal code that address uh, the integrity of public administration overall.
7: That's Gwen Keyes-Fleming, a former district attorney in DeKalb County. She also co-authored the Brookings Report, which analyzes all of the publicly available information on what happened in Georgia after the 2020 election. The report, published last fall, says Willis's investigation is well-founded and that Trump faces substantial legal risk in Georgia. But it stops short of recommending criminal charges. It also says that if the allegations lead to the investigation and prosecution of those involved, the man who once held the nation's highest office shouldn't get a free pass.
6: One of the main state laws that the Brookings Report says might have been broken is Criminal solicitation to commit election fraud. Let's start with the Raffensburger phone call.
3: All I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more that we have because we won the state.
7: So what did Trump mean by the word find? Did he mean that Raffensburger needed to dig deeper to uncover fraudulent votes? Or did he want Raffensperger to manufacture 11,780 new ballots for Trump? Trump could get into real trouble if jurors think that that means creating counterfeit ballots with votes for Trump or destroying ballots cast for Biden. That's a felony. Here's Fleming.
2: In terms of whether there was evidence that in the January 2nd call Uh, The former president was trying to um, get the Secretary of State to uh, either create these 11,780 votes uh, or possibly destroy 11,000 votes, uh, properly cast votes that would um, then shift uh, the election result.
6: Altering or destroying ballots is illegal, as is tampering with a voting machine. And it's worth noting that when it comes to solicitation, the act that's being solicited doesn't have to be committed in order for the charge to stand.
0: The law. Georgia law is exceptionally favorable, as we wrote in our Brookings report on the possible prosecution of Trump in Fulton County.
7: That's Norm Eisen talking about Georgia's solicitation law. He's a co-author of the Brookings report. He's also the former U.S. ambassador to the Czech Republic and was co-counsel on the House Judiciary Committee during the first impeachment proceedings against Trump. He recently wrote a book about restoring ethics in the federal government post-Trump.
0: You have a um, provision, express provision. They don't exist everywhere in the country. Criminal law for solicitation of election fraud. To me, that seems to be on all fours with exactly what Trump was doing when he pressured Raffensperger.
7: Of course, Trump also said this.
3: And you're going to find that they are, which is totally illegal. It's, it's, it's more illegal for you than it is for them because you know what they did and you're not reporting it. That's a, you know, that's a criminal, that's a criminal offense. And, and you know, you can't let that happen. That's, that's a big risk to you and to Ryan. Your lawyer, that's a big risk.
6: Here's Professor John Banzaff again. He's a public interest lawyer who began fighting the tobacco companies in the late 1960s. In the 70s, he was credited with bringing early public awareness to the Watergate scandal. After he heard the January 2nd phone call, Banzaff filed a formal complaint against Trump with the Fulton DA's office.
3: I think it's important that Trump's language was very clear and very specific. Because it, su- it suggests very strongly and would persuade a jury, I think, that he wasn't just joking or talking generally. If I called up and said, hey, you know, I wish I'd gotten some more votes down there in the peach state, well, that's a kind of a generalized statement. Uh, not, nobody's going to take that as a threat or seriously, but he's very specific. He says, I want 11,800 votes and I want you to find them. And he said it several times. And then also, I don't have the exact language in front of me, but he said something to the effect, you know, if you have knowledge of wrongdoing and you don't act on it, that could be a crime. And this is not coming from just anybody. It's not coming from a reporter. It's not coming from a a law professor. This is coming from the guy who heads the Justice Department and who can make the Justice Department do what he wants to do. So putting those two together... It's specific, it's clear, it's unambiguous, it mentions specific number of votes, and it actually talks about possible criminal action. That sounded to me very much like a, a crime.
7: Trump's attorneys appeared before two committees at the state capitol in December 2020. Leading the team, former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani. They would raise many of the same claims Trump would make in the January 2nd phone call.
6: The testimony dragged on for hours. It was littered with conspiracy theories, claims of widespread fraud and rigged voting machines, assertions that were debunked by state authorities.
4: When you look at that rejection rate, and when you look at what you saw on the video, which to me was a smoking gun, powerful smoking gun, well, I don't, don't have to be a genius to figure out what happened. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have to be a genius to figure out that those votes are not legitimate votes. You don't put legitimate votes under a table. No. (laughs) Wait until you throw the opposition out and in the middle of the night count them. We would have to be fools to think that. So uh, no, no need to push it any further, but there's more than ample evidence to conclude that this election was a sham.
6: Giuliani also told lawmakers they could take matters into their own hands.
4: There is no doubt of the right of the legislature to resume the power at any time.
6: This is Giuliani addressing the Senate Judiciary Committee on December 3rd.
4: To be sure, at any time, would likely not allow the letter chases to pick its own set of, of, of electors by whim, but there would have to be a substantial basis for it. And that's really what we're presenting to you, a substantial basis, even to the point that these votes are too illegitimate to certify either to illegitimate to certify, or you can look through them and certify them in whatever way you feel is right. But this is your power, your obligation, and I know it's surprising. I've been before state legislators who didn't realize it, and really, so do we really have this power? And then once reading the Constitution and the Federalist Papers, it clearly is yours. You, you are the final arbiter of who the electors should be and whether the process is fair or not. And the other way to look at it, it's your responsibility if a false and fraudulent count is submitted to the United States government. And it's clear that the count you have right now is false.
7: Shortly after the Senate hearing, which was in person, Giuliani tested positive for COVID-19 and had to be hospitalized. This concerned many legislators because Giuliani didn't wear a mask. Remember, this was before the vaccine was readily available.
6: Days later, Giuliani appeared before a state house committee. This time, it was a virtual hearing. As he did before the Senate committee, Giuliani made claims that poll workers at the state farm arena in Atlanta had secretly counted suitcases full of illegal ballots.
7: He also showed the state farm security video his team put together. The one Raffensperger says was doctored. And Giuliani also spoke about the election worker who'd received threats after her name became public. We're now identifying Shay Moss and her mom because they recently testified before the select committee investigating the January 6th riot.
4: Tape earlier in the day of Ruby Freeman and Shay Freeman Moss and one other gentleman quite obviously surreptitiously passing around USB ports as if they are vials of heroin or cocaine. I mean, it's, outsta- it's It's obvious to anyone who's a criminal investigator or prosecutor, they are engaged in surreptitious illegal activity again that day. And that's a week ago. And they're still walking around Georgia lying. Should have been they should have been uh, should have been questioned already. Uh, their places of work, their homes should have been searched for evidence of ballots, for LS- evidence of USB ports, for evidence of voter fraud.
6: And this is what Bill Barr had told Trump when he was still attorney general. He said this to the select committee.
3: Took a look, hard look at this ourselves. And based on our uh, review of it, including the interviews of the key witnesses, uh, the Fulton County uh, allegations were had no merit. The, the, the ballots under the table uh, were legitimate ba- ballots. They weren't in a suitcase. They had been pre-opened for eventually feeding into the machine. All the stuff about the water leak and that there was some subterfuge involved. We felt there was some confusion, but, but there was no evidence of a subterfuge to create an opportunity to feed things into the count. And uh, so we didn't see any evidence of, of uh, fraud in, in, the,
8: in the Fulton County episode.
7: This is Breakdown from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.
6: Just hours after Giuliani's testimony, Gabe Sterling, the Secretary of State's elections official, appears at a press conference at the state capitol. He's heard enough.
9: Again, um, former Mayor Giuliani played the repeatedly and repeatedly debunked State Farm video (laughs) in the House Committee today. Giving oxygen to this continued disinformation is leading to a continuing erosion of people's belief in in our elections and our processes.
7: Sterling responds to many of Giuliani's claims, one being that about 10,000 felons illegally cast ballots.
9: So far, our, our initial investigations of potential felon voting is at less than 100.
6: Giuliani also claims that tens of thousands of people cast ballots even though they weren't yet 18 years old, or they hadn't registered to vote. Sterling notes the law allows for 17-year-olds to register to vote if they are going to turn 18 before Election Day. As for claims that unregistered voters cast ballots?
9: There is no physical way to cast a vote unless you are in the voter registration system. There's, you cannot get a ballot. There's just so much disinformation. I think I, I said the other day, we have a shovel, we're against an ocean. It's an ocean that's being perpetuated by the president of the United States and his legal teams.
7: Giuliani could be at risk for violating a law barring false statements and concealment of facts. In Georgia, such a crime can be committed when a person knowingly and willfully, quote, makes a false, fictitious, or fraudulent statement or representation.
6: We know that the DA's office is deeply interested in Giuliani's testimony. The special purpose grand jury subpoenaed a transcript of the Georgia Senate election hearing that Giuliani appeared before. It also requested the testimony of at least two Democratic senators who were there. Fleming thinks Giuliani may be in trouble.
2: So potentially there could be, uh, depending on the evidence that's found, there could be some some, uh, charges for Mr. Giuliani there as well.
7: Ditto for the video Giuliani played that showed selectively edited snippets of vote counting at Atlanta's State Farm Arena.
6: And Giuliani's comments upended the lives of poll worker Shea Moss and her mom, fellow poll worker Ruby Freeman. Appearing before the select committee, Shea Moss says she liked helping people exercise their right to vote.
1: I've always um, been told by my grandmother how important it is to vote and how People before me, a lot of people, um, older people, in my family did not have that right. After Giuliani singled her out, Moss said
7: she was called into her boss's office. He asked her to check her Facebook Messenger app on her phone.
1: And I went to that icon and it was just a lot of horrible things there. Uh, A lot of threats, um, wishing death upon me, um, telling me that no, I'm, I'll be in jail with my mother and saying things like, be glad it's 2020 and not 1920. That's, yeah. A lot of them were racist. A lot of them were just hateful.
6: Here's Representative Adam Schiff asking Moss about Giuliani's allegations.
1: In one of the videos we just watched,
0: Mr. Giuliani accused you and your mother of passing some sort of USB drive to each other. Uh, What was your mom actually handing you on that video?
8: A
1: ginger mint.
7: In pre-recorded testimony, Freeman said she now gets nervous when she's out in public. She doesn't want people to know her name.
8: I'm always concerned of who's around me. I've lost my name and I've lost my reputation. I've lost my sense of security. All because a group of people starting with number 45... And his ally, Rudy Giuliani, decided to scapegoat me and my daughter, Shay to push their own lies about how the presidential election was stolen.
7: Freeman says when January 6th approached, the FBI told her to move away from her home for security precautions. She moved out for two weeks until the inauguration.
8: There is nowhere I feel safe. Do you know how it feels to have the president of the United States to target you? The president of the United States is supposed to represent every American, not to target one. But he targeted me, Lady Ruby, a small business owner, a mother, a proud American citizen who stand up to help Fulton County run an election in the middle of the pandemic.
6: Moss says she quit the job she loved as a poll worker in Fulton County.
8: Um,
1: there is no permanent election worker or supervisor in that video that's still there.
0: And did you end up leaving your, leaving your position as well?
1: Yes, I, I left.
6: Trump, Meadows, and Cleta Mitchell, a conservative lawyer who helped Trump after the elections, could also be implicated for false statements. For what they said about widespread election fraud, shredded ballots, drop boxes being delivered late, dead voters, and other matters during the January 2nd phone call that turned out to be wildly inaccurate.
7: Another episode that could run afoul of the law? The hush-hush meeting of Republicans in the state capitol on December 14th, 2020 the same day that Democrats cast Georgia's 16 Electoral College votes for Biden.
6: Down a flight of stairs, behind a heavy wooden door in conference room 216, 16 Republicans were anointed to be a slate of shadow electors to vote for Trump.
5: And then I show up at the Capitol, and it's under heavy, heavy security. That's AJC
7: political reporter Greg Bluestein.
5: At that time, There had been a fence erected around the perimeter of the Georgia State Capitol. There was worries about protests. The Democratic delegates entered through a back room, a back door, and they were shepherded upstairs to the State Senate under heavy armed guard. There was only a few people allowed into, as observers, into the State Senate chambers.
6: Greg is rushing to cover the actual electoral college vote when he stumbles upon this meeting.
5: I really did not think there was gonna be a phony slate. Kind of peek in to see what was happening. And um, someone at the door said, oh, we're just having an educational meeting. And I'll never forget that. I was like, okay. And I knew something was up, but I also didn't have time at that moment because I had to be upstairs. I had to go up those stairs and uh, cover the formal vote for the Democrats. So I think I tweeted something about how something fishy is going on. Um, They're saying this is an education meeting, but I've got to get to real news, you know?
7: Greg learns from a colleague that yes, fake electors were meeting in that room he tried to enter downstairs.
5: I just was, I was stunned. You know, we had heard rumblings about that in other states, and at that time, I think we might have even seen a shadow slate, a phony slate, whatever you want to call it. But I didn't think it would happen in Georgia. I just didn't think that the the Georgia GOP electors would
7: go for that. Greg's testimony is also being requested by the special purpose grand jury, which AJC leaders are likely to object to. It's customary for major news organizations to try and block one of their reporters from testifying about information they obtain while reporting the news. That's because they want to preserve their independence.
6: Georgia was one of seven swing states in which Republicans went ahead and signed fake electoral college paperwork and sent it on to the National Archives, even though Joe Biden was declared the winner in their states.
7: One of those electors is state GOP chairman David Schaefer. This is what he told Greg and other reporters that day.
3: We were asked by the president's lawyers to hold this meeting to preserve his rights under the pending litigation. So because the president's lawsuit contesting the Georgia election has not been decided or even heard, we held this meeting to preserve his uh, rights. Had we not held the meeting, then uh, his lawsuit would effectively uh, be mooted. So we held this uh, meeting today to assure that if he prevails in the lawsuit, that there will be electoral votes uh, that have been cast that will be available to him.
6: We know Willis and her prosecutors are interested in those fake electors. At least two have been interviewed by the DA's office. Also of interest is a recently unearthed email that Robert Sinners, a Trump campaign official in Georgia, sent to electors the day before they met. He told the Republicans to keep their plans shrouded in complete secrecy.
7: Not only that, but to go as far as to lie to the security guards in the Georgia Capitol. He told them to say they were visiting one of two Trump-friendly state senators and nothing about their shadow electoral college ceremony. Legal experts tell us that email could be helpful for prosecutors should they decide to press charges against the electors.
6: After the email leaked, Robert Sinners, who now just so happens to work for Secretary of State Raffensperger, he said he was simply working under the direction of Schaefer and other Trump campaign officials.
7: And going back to Schaefer's comments to Greg back in December 2020, don't forget he also says that Trump's lawyers orchestrated the whole thing. Here's former
2: District Attorney Gwen Keyes Fleming. It's possible if the DA, I believe she's already indicated she is looking into the allegations of fake electors, it's possible that anybody involved in that particular scheme could also be um, investigated and potentially charged under this criminal solicitation felony statute.
7: Those are potential felonies with a maximum punishment of three years behind bars. There's also a possible misdemeanor violation, which carries a fine of up to $1,000 and up to a year of jail time.
6: The electors could be at risk for forgery charges. Same for Rudy Giuliani. He reportedly organized the fake elector effort across the seven swing states.
7: That's considered a second-degree crime, soliciting the failure to perform an election duty. Part of Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger's job is to certify election results in a way that's truthful and maintains the integrity of the process.
2: And so asking the uh, Secretary of State to do anything other than that or to falsify the certification or falsify the election in some way would be soliciting uh, him to violate uh, or not perform his public duty. Another misdemeanor uh, in the election code would be false statements, and this is where you would make a false uh, statement under oath of affirmation or solicit somebody to make a false statement under oath or affirmation relating to something being investigated or heard by any public official.
6: The DA could also investigate the unusual phone call Trump placed to Francis Watson, who was then the senior investigator for the Secretary of State's office. Watson was performing an audit of more than 15,000 ballots in Cobb County. She wanted to see if the signatures on the ballots matched the signatures on the voters' registrations. All but two did match, by the way.
7: Watson wasn't exactly a well-known public figure, and certainly not someone who'd be on the radar of your average Georgian, much less the President of the United States. The phone call was recorded. Here's what Trump told Watson.
3: And I won everything but Georgia and I, you know and I won Georgia I know that by a lot and the people know it and uh, you know something happened there I mean something bad happened and I hope you
9: join that uh, that uh, because if you uh, you know I hope you're going back two years as opposed to just checking you know one against the other because that would just be sort of a a, uh, a signature check that didn't mean anything but if you go back two years and if you can get to Fulton you're going to find things that are going to be unbelievable, the the dishonesty that we've heard from
6: them. Right. You know, just good sources, really good sources. But Fulton is the mother load, you know, as the expression goes, Fulton County. Right. Intentional interference with the performance of election duties is a misdemeanor. Fleming cites a point in that call when Trump asks Watson to look at things outside the purview of her audit in Cobb County like looking at mail-in ballot signatures from two years before or for her to investigate Fulton County ballots.
2: And again, that was not her role. So uh, that those are the types of additional statements that the district attorney may use to establish uh, this particular crime of interference with election duties by directing her attention elsewhere and or asking her to to follow procedures that are outside the realm of what she should do in her job. Fleming says
7: Willis may need to take advantage of the special purpose grand jury's subpoena power to try and assemble enough evidence to support an interference charge.
6: This is Breakdown from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. There's also Trump's phone conversation with Georgia Attorney General Chris Carr on December 8th, 2020. Greg Bluestein writes about the incident in his book, Flipped. Carr had just returned home with a rotisserie chicken from Publix, had settled in for the night, and was looking to get into the holiday spirit.
5: And he was, you know, him and his family were trying to watch the movie Elf.
7: But then Senator David Perdue calls and tells Carr that Trump was angry at him.
5: He had caught wind that Chris Carr was against the effort by Texas to overturn the state's elections in Georgia and other states.
6: He's talking about a lawsuit filed in the U.S. Supreme Court. Carr had called it constitutionally, legally, and factually wrong. And like all the others filed by Trump and his allies, it was rejected.
7: So at Purdue's urging, Carr calls the White House. He's put on hold for 90 minutes before the president gets on the
5: line. And basically, to summarize their conversation, or at least how I translated the conversation, um, talking to multiple sources with direct knowledge, was that the president wanted to make sure that Chris Carr wasn't trying to rally opposition. You know, he had heard that he was trying to get other, that Chris Carr was trying to get other attorneys general to come out against this Texas long shot Supreme court challenge. And the attorney general and Chris Carr just was saying, Hey, you know, this is how I feel, but I'm not trying to, you know, um, overstep my skis here. I'm not, I'm not trying to go rally other other Republican officials against it. I'm just letting them know where we stand as, as my office in the state of Georgia.
7: Carr was scheduled to testify before the special grand jury in late June.
6: Another possible crime that could be on the table is conspiracy to commit election fraud.
7: That could implicate some of Trump's top allies, including Giuliani, US Senator Lindsey Graham, and Trump's White House Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows. To move forward with this charge, Prosecutors would need to assemble enough evidence to convince a jury that there was an agreement between Trump and people like Giuliani, Meadows, and even the Republican electors, and that they were working towards one goal.
6: Now, under Georgia law, an agreement doesn't necessarily mean a pact that was sealed with a handshake or a signed contract. The participants don't even necessarily need to know each other.
2: So the law says that the state only need to prove that two or more persons tacitly came to a mutual understanding to accomplish or pursue a criminal objective.
6: That's Fleming again. Prosecutors must prove there was enough evidence of a connection and that the individuals were acting in tandem. That's where subpoenas could be helpful to unearth documents and witness testimony.
7: There's also the Racketeer-Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, known as RICO. Willis herself brought it up in her letter to state officials announcing her investigation. And she's brought it up now and again in media interviews.
6: Congress passed the law in 1970 in order to put away mafia bosses, the Vito Corleones of the world, who orchestrated crimes for decades but had escaped conviction. Georgia passed its own version of the law in 1981, and many say Georgia's RICO is more powerful than the federal version.
7: Here, it's been used successfully to target street gangs, an assisted suicide network, a metro Atlanta sheriff who assassinated his political rival, and, as we told you about last episode, Atlanta school teachers, the blockbuster case that brought Fonnie Willis into the spotlight.
6: Here's attorney Bob Rubin explaining how it works. He defended a principal in the Atlanta test cheating trial, and of course, he defended Travis McMichael in breakdown season eight, the Ahmad Arbery case. So the
0: RICO law in Georgia, like, like most states is patterned after the federal RICO law. And it's essentially an, an ascent, think of an association of, of people either working through an organization or just without an organization, just associating with each other. Um, classic example of course is the, the mob family, which is an association of people working under, uh, one head of the family. Um, But it can be a a corporation. It can be just individuals working together. But there's usually uh, a structure to the organization. Uh, Multiple people, someone's in charge, and there's underlings doing various criminal acts to further the goals of the organization.
7: In order to prove a RICO case, a prosecutor has to show a pattern of racketeering activity. And while that might seem complicated, in some cases, it's not that difficult at all.
6: That's because the state has to convince the jury that at least two crimes were committed to further the criminal interests of the organization. These are called predicate acts, and you just need two of them.
7: Interestingly, solicitation, coercion, and intimidation of another person to commit a crime can be considered a predicate act for a racketeering charge.
0: So the reason it's so powerful is because using the RICO law the prosecutor can bring in a number of people who may not know each other, may not have ever interacted with each other, but if they're all working for the same criminal goal to enrich or empower an organization or a group of, or a particular individual in fact, they can all be considered to be acting together as part of this enterprise. And the enterprise would be the association of individuals or the committee to reelect the president or, or some other organization.
6: So is Willis going to consider RICO when it comes to her investigation of the 2020 elections? We asked Bob Rubin what he thinks.
0: I mean, I think it's a stretch.
6: But what if she did?
0: So there's the enterprise would be this association of individuals. I don't think there's a real organization except unless they're all working for a political committee. The goal would be to empower Donald Trump, right? Uh, Wrongfully by committing criminal acts. And by using RICO, she can bring in each of the individual acts, which may have nothing to do with the other. So Giuliani's acts in Georgia may have nothing to do with what was happening in the U.S. attorney's office. They may not have even known each other. We're were working towards the same goal. But under RICO, uh, she can bring all of that in, assuming they're criminal acts.
6: Here's Fleming again.
2: You know, I think influencing witnesses is going to be one of the strongest cases that she has. Uh, I think... If she includes in the RICO the forgery charges for the electors, that would establish your two. I think false statements, um, that gives her three. So I, I think a RICO charge is a real possibility. Brookings legal experts cite at least four
7: possible crimes that could count as predicate acts for RICO. They include false statements and writings, solicitation of false statements and writings, solicitation of false swearing, and influencing witnesses. There's also possibly the crime of solicitation of computer trespassing, since we're talking about votes that were tabulated and often cast on computer systems.
6: On top of that, Rubin says the state can charge individuals with not only RICO, but conspiring to commit RICO.
0: So it's about as broad a law as you can possibly get. It allows the prosecutor to bring in all sorts of evidence from various individuals and and the criminal acts that they're committing, the overt acts towards the conspiracy. It it basically gives the, the prosecution a huge bucket that they can use to fill with all sorts of stuff that are seemingly unrelated, but if they can tie it all up as related towards furthering the goal of this association, this criminal or corrupt association, they can bring it as a RICO action.
7: So Willis has some decisions to make. The first, of course, is whether to seek an indictment. The second is whether to pursue a more targeted set of charges, focused on things like solicitation to commit election fraud or influencing witnesses. Such convictions usually result in fines or, at worst, short jail sentences. Or does she opt for a more complicated but splashier strategy that includes RICO, Felony racketeering carries a punishment of up to 20 years in prison. The D.A. could also conceivably bar Trump's name from ever appearing on a Georgia ballot again.
6: Never mind the political glory that would come from being the first district attorney to obtain an indictment against a former U.S. president, a RICO charge would enable Willis to tell a broader story about what happened in Georgia and other swing states after the 2020 elections. Here's Fleming.
2: And so again, there is just this opportunity to to have a broad umbrella and what may look like one-offs, when you put them together with the timeline, the DA will be able to draw various connections. And again, these patterns of activity have to be done in a way that they are advancing or trying to maintain, either directly or indirectly, an enterprise. And so in Georgia, there has been case law that retaining elected office is considered an enterprise, sufficient enterprise to establish a statute.
7: It would be huge news if Willis deploys Rico against Trump and his allies. She recently used that very law to pursue immensely popular rapper Young Thug and 27 others allegedly connected to the street gang Young Slime Life.
6: And Willis appears to be well positioned to do so if she wants to go that route for the Trump probe. Remember, she has Atlanta RICO expert John Floyd on her staff. Rubin says this could be telling. Well, I think that's
0: a strong signal that they're seriously looking at RICO in, in this investigation. John, of course, is kind of the godfather, no pun intended, of the RICO statute uh, and use of it in Georgia. He's written a well-used and popular book uh, about RICO in all the states, but including in Georgia. And so he's nobody knows RICO better than John Floyd.
7: Speaking of RICO godfathers, Rudy Giuliani pioneered the use of racketeering charges when he was U.S. attorney in New York. As the top federal prosecutor in Manhattan, he brought RICO indictments against the heads of New York's five families, ultimately securing the convictions of eight mobsters. Now, more than 30 years later, another case may bring Giuliani and RICO together again, but in a much different way.
6: All of these potential state charges we just laid out, though, come with a giant speed bump. Next on Breakdown. To convict anyone of violating any of these state laws, prosecutors must convince the jury that the participants knew that they were pushing for something illegal. And that could be the prosecution's Achilles heel.
5: Donald Trump
9: says crazy things, and that makes him bulletproof. It means that... Uh, he so routinely says those things and so routinely seems to believe them. There's a book that came out what last week about how he thought China was shooting us with hurricane guns. There's a magic marker on a map where he thought that a hurricane was going to reach out to Alabama. He had to draw it on because he was so sure that was true. So you want me to believe beyond a reasonable doubt that Donald Trump couldn't believe a crazy thing?
3: I've got doubt.
6: As always, thank you so much for listening. We will continue to drop an episode every week over the next few weeks. Then we'll come back from time to time whenever major news breaks in this story. And I think you can count on that happening.
7: You can follow our daily coverage on our website, AJC.com. And if you really want to support local journalism, particularly our journalism, please subscribe to the AJC.
6: Be safe and take care. Until next time, I'm Bill Rankin.
7: And I'm Tamar Hallerman.
6: This is Breakdown. From the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.
5: Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox, So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash Indictment Newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash Indictment Newsletter. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.
2: And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody.
5: It means everything to me.
2: We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at
5: www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL.
2: Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.